Okay. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I, for one, am, am excited to be exploring God's story this year. You know, I don't know about you, but I really appreciated the focus last week on creation and Genesis. And if you miss the service, it's worth catching up on online. You can view all our messages on our YouTube channel. Most are uploaded straight after the service each week as well. Now, through this series, we uh, do condense the Bible into 31 sessions. And so it is so hard to give everything adequate justice. You know, it's, it's so hard to, to refrain from trying to teach everything, the richness that is in the scriptures. Uh, so I would really encourage you that if, if you were sparked, something was sparked in you, something of interest, well, do your own study through the week and follow along reading. Last week we did Genesis 1 through 11, right? So that's a big chunk to try and break off in one week and it's only going to get quicker. So make sure you do take that opportunity to delve in deeply and to study the scriptures yourself from week to week as God sparks a passion in you for the word and encourages you to get into the scriptures, to fill in those gaps during the weeks through this series. And speaking of new things, have you noticed how whenever you get a new phone or you do an update or you sign up to something on uh, some website or whatever, there's all these terms and conditions. I mean, do you, has anyone ever read through like the Apple terms and conditions before you just click accept? We just all just click bang, accept, because no one wants to read all of that garb, do they? Who's ever read all of the garb? Not a single hand but there's one person that has very shy putting their hand up today. Um, but, you know, how many times we, we all just hit agree? We don't even know what we're agreeing to half the time. I mean, I could have been signing away my firstborn son and I wouldn't know. I would not know. And maybe you've heard about the first people who got into really big trouble not reading the Apple terms and conditions. Adam and Eve. Didn't see that coming, did you? Some did, I'm sure. Yeah. But God saw it coming. And he has, he has a plan and a purpose to bring us back to him. From Genesis to Revelation, this is the unfolding of God's upper story. In connected to his upper story, we are all living out our individual day-to-day lower story. Last week, I took us through, as I said, the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And as a quick recap, let's read aloud the first movement of the story. If you just click on presenter down the bottom left, that will get us onto the... There we go. In the upper story, God creates the lower story. His vision is to come down and be with us in a beautiful garden. The first two people reject God's vision and are escorted from paradise. Their decision introduces sin into the human race and keeps us from community with God. At this moment, God gives, us, uh, gives a promise and launches a plan to get us back. The rest of the Bible is God's story of how he kept that promise and made it possible for us to enter a loving relationship with him. That's movement one of the story. Let us pray. 
Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this moment that we have to come before you, to open your word, to hear from you and to listen to you. Lord, I pray that as we look at the story of the Bible, that Lord, it would jump out at us and that Lord, you would reveal to us your wonderful plan and purpose for all of creation, but also for each one of us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So far, we've worked our way through uh, creation, the fall, the flood, and the Tower of Babel. And the story continues as we move into the second movement of Abraham, which starts around 2166 BC. And the second movement says this, God builds a brand new nation called Israel. Through this nation, he will reveal his presence, power, and plan to get us back. Every story of Israel will point to the first coming of Jesus, the one who will provide the way back to God. You know, a few years ago, um, Kelly and I and the kids, we went on a holiday and we drove from Melbourne to my parents in Berry, South Australia, in the Riverland. And we were driving along and, uh, you know, it was a lovely day, you know, a nice, bright, sunny one. And as we were heading up, um, we sort of took, you know, you head off the Calder Freeway. Instead of going through Mildura, we sort of cut through like, and then get to Pinaroo and then head up. It's sort of, it's a little bit quicker-ish. You sort of bypass Mildura and that, that's all gone. But being a B road and being a weekend, we passed, I always say this wrong, Oyen, Uyen, whatever it is. We, we, we turn left there instead of going straight ahead. And so we're going along this road and I notice, oh, petrol is getting a bit low. And so we were driving along. And uh, all of a sudden, as we're go- driving along, the car starts to sort of splutter and then cuts out. And we just coast along and pull up on, on the side of the road. You know, oil was fine, check engine light wasn't on, you know, tyre pressure was all good, we didn't have a blowout or anything. Uh, we'd run out of fuel. We'd run out of petrol. See, because I'd noticed as the, the fuel gauge was getting low, and every town we passed, the petrol station was closed. And all these little towns, they might only, one of them operated from 8am to 10am on Tuesdays. That was the opening hours of that town's petrol station. And so, yeah, we were about half an hour out from the next petrol. And so as we were standing on the side of the road, I was flagging down cars and um, trying to get people to give me a lift into the next town so I could try and get some fuel and come back. And uh, no luck, people would st- a lot of people actually stopped to help us out. And being a B road, there weren't that many people that passed. Um, in a good half an hour, I think there was four. Um, and so then this guy in this big four-wheel drive bus comes past and he pulls up and stops and, and asks, do we need a hand? And I said, yeah, we've, we've run out of fuel. Um, and he goes, oh, well, I'll take you to wherever the next fuel is. And so we went into the next town and their petrol station was also closed. And so a half hour later, we arrive in Pinaroo, get some petrol, and then he drives us the half hour back to our car fills it up and then drives with us to Pinaroo to make sure we got there. A wonderful human being. It wouldn't even accept any money for help. Like, just God sends these angels to us at times. You know, he was one of those. 
Um, and so I'd never done that in my life. I'd never ever run out of fuel in my life and will never again <laughs> if, if I can focus enough and, you know, do everything right. Uh, but it's a little bit more, uh, you know, now that I've done it, I'm like, yeah, that really is, is terrible. It's not good at all. Um, so there we are, just absolutely appreciative of this great human and uh, we, we may have arrived at our destination, you know, more than two hours late than what we planned, uh, but that's okay. No one, though, wants to stall out on the road. It can be downright debilitating when you stall out in life, though. You know, things are going well and all of a sudden you're just stuck. Life happens, jobs lost, marriage fails, health is in decline. You've prayed to God, but, but the, those prayers remain unanswered. You know, maybe on the outside, everything's looking great, but on the inside, you've been stuck for a while. You want to believe that God has a purpose and a plan, but you find yourself asking the question, how can I know? How can I know? And if you've ever asked that question, how can I know that God has a purpose and plan for my life? If you've ever asked that question, then today's story is for you. It doesn't run on fuel, but it runs on faith. In the upper story, we start to see God's presence, power and plan to get us back as he builds the nation of Israel. And every nation must start with someone Turn with me if you've got your Bibles there to Genesis chapter 12. This is where we are first introduced to Abraham, or as it was called then, Abram. The Lord said to Abram, chapter 12, verse 1, Go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I'll Bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. If you're new to the Bible and you, haven't, you don't know the end of this story, you might be doing the math. You know, Abram is going to populate a great nation, but he's 75 years old. You know, his name will eventually get longer, but his years are getting shorter. This is one of the themes that you're going to see throughout the Bible. God uses the most unlikely people to accomplish his purposes. This is certainly the case with Abram. Not only are he and his wife Sarai getting up there in age, but also Sarai has never given birth. The Bible tells us that she was barren. So, did Abram then come from good stock? Well, not exactly. Now, Abram's father, Terah, was an idol maker. He made his living from carving idols of animals and mythic creatures, selling them as household gods for people to worship. Surely there's someone more qualified or from better stock. Someone younger? I mean, no offence to any 75-year-olds, but in that harsh and dangerous world back then, 
I would be afraid he wouldn't even survive the trip, much less populate a new nation. But this is exactly who God chooses. Why? Why does Abram, what does Abram have that God is going to use to move his upper story forward? Well, in Hebrews 11 verse 8, we are given a clue. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. There it is. Abraham had faith and obeyed. And because Abraham obeyed, all his troubles went away and they lived happily ever after. No, 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 that's not what happened. In fact, it was pretty much the opposite. Abram and Sarah would experience famine and have to move again. They'd experience separation from family that had travelled with them. They'd experience relational turmoil and conflict with family. They would experience the very real fear for their own lives. But surely hardest of all was when they experienced, well, nothing. God had promised a child and 24 years later, nothing. Can you imagine how they would have felt? As each year passed and as this promise to continue to not be realised, as they continued to age, getting older and older. I mean, 24 years is two-thirds of my lifetime. I mean, think about all you've done over the last 24 years. Think about everything that's happened to your life in the last 24 years. For me, 24 years ago, 1998, what what were you doing since then? What have you done since then? For me, I was in grade 8 at Newtown High School in Hobart. Right? That's 24 years ago. Since that time, in the last 24 years, I, of course, finished high school. I started working, became a retail buyer, travelled overseas three times, met Kelly and married her, bought three houses, built another, had two kids, moved to three different cities, studied two degrees, added 40 kilograms of mass and lost most of my hair. And that's just a few things, just one or two. So much more has happened in the last 24 years. So many things are done, feats accomplished, lives built in 24 years. Abraham and Sarah were no different. 24 years of life continued for them too. And maybe you know how they felt. Maybe you're still waiting for an answer to your prayer. Now, I would struggle with 24 days, but 24 years? Surely there was little faith left in Abraham's tank. Well, let's see for ourselves. Romans chapter 4, verse 18 to 21 says, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Yet without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. 
Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. So there went that theory. You know, that, 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 that's, that's 25 years after God made the, the promise, 24 years before Abraham would hold his son Isaac in his arms. Yet scripture tells us Abraham did not waver in his faith. Get this, his faith was actually strengthened. So who is this guy? I mean, is he some sort of like super Christian? Well, no, he was indeed actually the first Jew, so that can't be it. Or maybe he grew up in the perfect home, you know, just had the best parents, like imaginable, like my kids have. <laughs> no, 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 his dad was an idol maker and lived in a land that worshipped false gods, so that can't have been it. Maybe he had really supportive friends. Well, it's hard to say. I mean, in that day, the inability to bear children was seen as punishment and they did move a lot. Or maybe he just had some sort of divine power I don't have to be able to be faithful for 24 years from the age of 75. I don't know. But whatever it was, I don't seem to have it and we still, don't, we, we still haven't answered the question how can I know? How can I know that God will keep his promise? What did Abraham know that allowed him to trust that deeply? Well, then I saw it. And it had been there all along. I just somehow missed it. Six chapters and ten years earlier, I found the answer to the question, how can I know? Come back next week and we'll t oh, no, I'll tell you. No, no, I wouldn't do that to you. Here it is. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 15. And the passage will be on the screen. See, God has come to Abraham, or Abram in a vision 15 years after the initial promise is made, but still 10 years before that promise is fulfilled. He takes Abram outside and has him look up to the sky. God tells Abram that his offspring will be as many as the stars in the sky, but he doesn't stop there. He gives him an additional promise. In verse 7, God says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Notice the next four, four words. How can I know that I will gain possession of it? Now, now we're talking. How can I know that I will gain possession of it? <clears throat> and I can relate to this guy, can you? Abraham, full of faith, brings this question to the only one who could provide an answer. I love taking questions to people who can give me answers. It's really good. And that's what he does here. So Abraham, so, so the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. 
The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcass, but Abram drove them away. Now this might not seem like much of an answer <coughs> to us, but in ancient times, it would have been understood. See, a blood covenant was about to be made. A blood covenant, a binding contract. Tim Keller points out that from history and archaeology, we know many times this type of covenant was used between a king and a lesser king or a conquered king or, or a servant. They would slaughter the animals and cut them in half so they could walk down the aisle between them. What they were saying is, may what has happened to these animals happen to me if I break this covenant. Now that's pretty intense, isn't it? Animals chopped in two, side by side, walk down the middle. And what you're saying is, if I break this promise, I'm going to be like them. I'm, I'm thinking that we should try this at our next wedding. You know, like, how, how good would that be? Like, binding contract? Uh, no, maybe not. Or well, forget the flower petals, let's just sprinkle some guts and blood everywhere. Anyone got a heifer or a goat or a ram? A couple of birds? might be difficult to get past the Baptist Union of Australia's uh, marriage rights, actually. So I might give that a miss. But I think we could bring some levity to our agreements that we make, don't you? But here's how it typically went down. Both the king and the other party would walk through, but many times it would just be the other party. And Abram falls into a deep sleep and a, and a thick and dreadful darkness comes over him. And I want you to pay close attention to verses 17 and 18. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot. Uh, let me go again. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants, I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. So you see what happened? A smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. God is saying, if I don't keep this covenant, if I don't build this nation, may it be to me, may this curse fall on me. He's the one that passed between the animals. It wasn't Abraham. Did you pick that up? It wasn't Abram that passed, it was God. Abram remains on the sidelines and God walks through alone. Do you know what this means? This means God is saying that if I fail, may it be unto me, but Abram, if you fail... If the nation of Israel fails, may it also be unto me. May my body be broken and my blood be poured out. Can you see where this is headed? He did this. He took it all on him. So the question, how can I know? Well, because this is exactly what would happen. God was not done testing Abraham's faith. He would tell him to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. 
I mean, is God kidding? Really? This is the promised son, the promised beginning of the nation, and God wants Abraham to kill his promised son. Abraham would obey God, but God would rescue Isaac. You're in some 2,000 years later in that same location, God would sacrifice his only son. This time there'd be no one who would come to the rescue. God would honour the covenant he made with Abraham and through his son would extend a new covenant to us. And like Abraham, we receive this new covenant through faith. Do you want faith like Abraham? then you've got to do what he did. He trusted, he obeyed, and he wasn't afraid to ask God, how can I know? He wasn't afraid. You see, the amazing blessing of Genesis and the story of Abram is that there is a covenant that continues with us from that moment. That, that moment of covenant where God said, if this binding agreement fails, it's on me. He didn't renege on that. He is a promise-keeping God. He made that promise to Abram over 4,000 years ago. And he has kept that promise. He is a promise-keeping God. And so when God gives us promises in his word that we can have applied to our lives, when you read the words of scripture and there are timeless principles in there and promises that God makes to us, his followers, how can I know if I can trust him? Because he's proven it time and time and time again. He proved it to the depths that he sent his only son that he could die on the cross for your sins, paying the penalty. His body was broken. His blood was poured out. He became that sacrifice for us so that that covenant, that promise could be kept. He had a plan and a purpose. That plan started in creation and it goes right through to revelation and this is the story of that plan now that might be what god was doing in the upper story to move that along with with, with abraham but what's god doing in your life what's god doing in your lower story how is he active in your life how is he moving you to a place of repentance of sin of appreciation, of sacrifice, of walking the victory that was won on the cross. Now, God answered Abram by placing his very deity on the line and Abraham found a place to place all his hope. And perhaps the best news of all is that you can too. You too have that same opportunity to place all of your hope for your future in a promise-keeping God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that 
your promises were made and that they are sure and certain. And we do look forward to that sure and certain hope of being reunited with you in heaven, Lord Jesus, through your sacrifice. And Lord, it might seem strange when we look at this passage in, in Genesis about Abraham and about these animals being cut in two, but Lord, what that signifies is that you are the answer. You provided the answer for all of our hope. Lord, you are a God who is so amazing that it's almost unfathomable to think we wouldn't place our faith and our trust and our hope in you because you take it on yourself to make sure that this promise is true. Lord, I just praise you and I thank you that we can fully trust in you for our salvation because, Lord, you are a promise-keeping God. I pray this in your name, Jesus, and I give thanks. Amen. Well, we're going to stand and sing in just a moment. Um, but I do know, Tim, um, lots of people have a fondness of you and your family, and I believe you're moving to Queensland this week.